Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, where the pollen count is finally starting to go down a little bit. I want to apologize, first and foremost, for the quality of my speaking voice on last week's episode. No one really likes to hear his or her own voice on a recording, but I really hated the sound of mine last week when I was severely afflicted by the effects of pollination in and around New York City. So I'm happy to say it's getting much better. I'm still not 100%, but I'm feeling fine. And I'm ready to bring you a full-length featured episode this week, continuing our hand history review of day one of the Venom PKO, a $2,650 buy-in progressive knockout bounty tournament that I played recently, earlier this month, on a little website called America's Card Room. Uh, Before we get into that, I wanted to let you know that if you are in the market for a poker training site, you should look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. We have some of the best coaches in the business. I'm talking about Colin Moshman, Andrew Brokus, Jared Smith, Alex Fitzgerald, Over 2,000 videos, all for you to watch at your own pace, on your own time, and watch them again and again and again. Unlimited access to all of our videos, as well as our tournament poker forums, for as little as $25 a month. Visit TournamentPokerEdge.com. So, we were more than halfway through day one in this $2,650 PKO event on ACR, and we were doing quite well. The blinds were 6,513,000 with a 1,950 ante. Why have round numbers, right? So the pot preflop is 33,150, and we had 4.1 million chips for the chip lead. Our M was 124, which is very rare in poker tournaments, especially online poker tournaments. And we had 315 big blinds. So we were absolutely crushing it at this point. The next largest stack at the table was only 1.9 million. So we have the second largest stack at our table covered by more than double. The average stack at this point in the tournament was 1.35 million. And again, we have 4.1 million. So basically three times the average stack, which is a great feeling. Uh, Folded to the button, who has 1.8 million. Uh, Best description of him, he opens to 28.6. So just a little scotch above 2x. Uh, and the small blind folds and the action is on us in the big blind. So a little bit about this this button. Uh, the way he's been playing so far 
from what I can tell, he's got a slightly above average stack. He hasn't been overly aggressive. He also hasn't been overly passive. I would guess that he's probably an online reg. It's probably not his first time playing a high stakes online tournament. He seems comfortable and competent as far as I can tell. Possibly even trying to play a GTO style. So if that's what he's going for, theoretically, we can't beat him. So our best hope is actually to try to break even against this player. So with all that in mind, we are in the big blind holding the queen of clubs and six of clubs. So queen six suited against just over a min raise Uh, with the blinds and antes that are already in the pot. We're getting about four and a half to one on a call, and we have a suited queen. I believe the solver would have us calling here, but it's probably not a huge mistake if you want to fold. You don't have to always defend your big blind, especially against tough opponents. You will be out of position. Your hand isn't that great. You might even get into trouble if you happen to flop a queen and he can beat it. So... In theory, folding is probably just a little bit worse than calling. Although, to be fair, I haven't actually run this through Pio, but I believe that queen six offsuit is a fold and queen six is a call at this stack depth and with these numbers, yada, yada. Uh, So if you want to fold and make a tiny mistake, that is fine because there are other things to consider, such as preserving our chip lead, not putting ourselves in a, a rough position if we happen to flop a flush draw on a paired board or a queen high flop that we could get into trouble. So if you want to tell me that this is not a defend for you and that you just want to fold your hand and move on to the next one, let him steal your big blind. Again, I do not believe that is a big mistake, but I did elect to call. I think the worst play here is actually to three bet because you effectively turn queen six suited into seven deuce. Right When we 3-bet here, we're actually hoping that our opponent just goes away. And I think that we have a little bit too much pot equity versus his range and a little too much playability for that to be a good idea with this type of hand. So I do believe in having a fairly robust range for 3-betting against a button raise when you are in the big blind. I think that you should do that with very strong hands such as obviously pocket aces kings ace king maybe even all the way down to ace 10 or ace 9 plus king queen king jack at least some of the time with those latter hands and then making sure you have a few bluffs i like to use uh, jack four offsuit 10 deuce offsuit and maybe so i don't do it too often just make sure that they are not the same color so one red and one black If I have a jack four or a 10 deuce, I will very often throw that in as a pre-flop semi-bluff. And the reason why I use those hands is because they are so unplayable post-flop that I literally don't mind turning them into seven deuce. Now you might say, well, Clayton, why not just use seven deuce? And you can, if you want to, include seven deuce, eight deuce. You just don't want to have too many bluffs in this spot the idea should be that generally your pre-flop three betting range versus a button open 
should be almost all value, but you do need to sprinkle in a few bluffs or else it's just too easy to beat you. Not to belabor this, but let's just say that my opponent is able to figure out that the very worst value hand that I'm ever three betting is King Jack and suppose that he had an opening range <laughs> as my neighbor <laughs> seems to always pick the time when I'm recording the podcast to start vacuuming. So <laughs> I apologize if you can hear a vacuum cleaner off in the background. But anyway, I was saying if the button has an opening range from the button that includes hands like King 10, Queen 10, and knows that whenever you three bet, you always have at least King Jack or better, then it's just too easy for that opponent to stay out of trouble versus such a strong set of hands. However, if there's a little bit of doubt, if I'm occasionally, and I mean occasionally, bluffing when I three bet because I decide to mix in just every so often a Jack Four or a Ten Deuce, a hand that again, I don't mind throwing away if I get any type of action at all. That creates just enough suspicion to make folding a hand like King 10 to the three bet a mistake. There are plenty of other ways for you to construct your pre-flop three betting from the big blind versus a button open range, especially when you're deep stacked. There are a lot of ways to put that range together. You can throw in suited connectors, even some offsuit connectors once in a while, uh, but that's how I do it as a starting point. But remember, guys, I'm always looking for opportunities to exploit my opponent's mistakes. So if I notice that you open from the button every time I'm in the big blind, I may start loosening up my pre-flop three betting range, especially if you've shown a noticeable lack of willingness to call those three bets and continue in the hand. So if you open 100% of your buttons, for example, which some players do, but nowadays most players have at least a few folds, right? But if you're the type that always opens the button when folded to you, I can basically three bet with 100% of my range, provided that you will not call at least 30% of the time that I do so. So... You guys know I don't play like a robot, so I'm just giving you an idea of what my starting point would be, but at the same time, I'm always paying attention to my opponents and looking for opportunities to exploit the mistakes that they tend to make. In this spot, we're up against basically a GTO bot, so we don't really see any mistakes that he's making. Therefore, I think folding is fine for that reason because playing against this opponent is unlikely to be very profitable in the long run, no matter what we do. So folding is okay, but I do think calling is just a little bit better. So that's what we do, and we're going to see a flop. And so with 77, excuse me, 77,000 in the middle and both opponents having heaps, uh, the flop comes king of hearts, four of clubs, deuce of hearts. Hero in the big blind holding queen of clubs, six of clubs. Now we don't have any leads in this spot, um, the solver says we should basically always check to the razor. Uh, forget basically. We should always check to the razor. When you're in a heads-up pot and you are not the last aggressor pre-flop, you should check. Don't check in the dark. 
pretend to make a decision if you're playing live, but still check to the razor each and every time. So we do, and opponent bets 23K into the 77K pot. Now, he should be betting this flop each and every time. Obviously, uh, it's a better flop for his range than it is for mine. King 4 deuce is a flop that should not hit me very often. But when it does hit me, I am going to play it aggressively because we're hoping that villain is towards the top of his range with a hand like king queen ace king pocket aces hands like that so when we hit this flop hard for example if we held pocket fours or king deuce something like that we are going to want to get a lot of money into the middle so against the gto bot we also need to have some check raise bluffs because we're going to want to check raise our best value hands and it feels to me like the queen six of clubs is a good hand with which to do that. The reason why is twofold. Number one, it will be very difficult for our opponent to continue versus a check raise when he doesn't have at least a pair of kings. Yeah, maybe he can call once when he has a hand like pocket tens on king four deuce. Uh, he can certainly continue when he has a flush draw and possibly even three bet the check raise if he wants to. We have very deep stacks, so he can certainly do so if that is his MO. But yeah, that's the first part, is that it's hard for him generally to continue without at least a pair of kings or maybe a flush draw. Now, the second reason I like making this type of play with this exact hand is that we have so many continue cards on the turn. So if we make a pair of queens on the turn, or if we pick up a flush draw on the turn. Remember, we have queen six of clubs. It's king of hearts, four of clubs, deuce of hearts. So we have the backdoor flush draw. We have several backdoor straight draw cards, like the five or the three. Those, to me, are the pretty obvious double barrel cards, right? A club, a queen, a five, a three. But what might be less obvious to some of you is that we're also intending to barrel when it comes another heart because we will always be check-raising with our very strong hands and our flush draws many times. We need to also represent that flush when it comes in. So we are taking an extremely aggressive line on this hand. We plan to check-raise on the flop. We plan to give up when the turn is a blank, such as the Ace of Spades or the Jack of Diamonds, we're planning to continue on any queen, any club, and any heart, plus a five or a three. So that's a lot of barrel cards now. And on any one of those barrel cards, we are planning on making a sizable wager on 4th Street. So imagine that you are the original Razor and you have something like pocket tens so maybe yeah you want to call the flop check raise but then when it comes a heart on the turn especially if my pocket tens are black are you really going to call a really big bet on fourth street knowing that clayton has the hammer of future betting even if gto strategy has it as sometimes a call just so that you're not too bluffable many of these players are not able to stand the heat. And by the way, we're also planning another big river bet 
in the event that it comes a heart and then a blank because we need to represent that flush because we have chosen to check raise the flop and because we will often have a flush draw when we make that play. This check raise barrel barrel line is extremely hard to defend because most of the time when players take this line, they're just not bluffing enough. And most people sense that, and even if they are trying to play a GTO style, in my experience, they actually can't stand the heat and end up throwing their hands away. So that's why we chose to go for the check raise on the king, four, deuce, flop, holding the queen, six, with just a backdoor flush draw and backdoor straight possibilities. Uh, the check raise worked. He made it. 23k into 77 uh we raised it up to 85 and took the pot part of it is because we have the chip lead and we look tough you know it's just easier to win when you're winning so when i have a big chip lead i like to pump up the volume a little bit and see who's ready to handle the pressure so a little while later, we're in, still in that same 6,513K level. We're still sitting on about 4.1 million. Uh, a few hands have gone by. The pot is still 33,000 pre-flop. Our M is 124. We have 315 big blinds. Pretty much the same position we were earlier in the level. Um, yeah, the next highest stack is around 2 million. He's on our immediate left. And then we have other stacks around the table ranging from 500,000 up to, yeah, like I said, that 2.1 million. Uh, there are a couple of big bounties in the three to $4,000 range at our table, but most of the bounties are closer to 1,200. So that's kind of the uh, basics of where we're at. Still the same table in the same level. And in this hand, the action folds to us in the hijack holding the king of spades, jack of spades. So another suited hand. We've got king jack suited. Just open for the minimum here. Um, you know, we can get into a pedantic argument about whether 2.1x or 2.2x is better than 2x, but I, I don't see any problem with just clicking the button there. Uh, so I make it 26,000 with 4.1 million behind. And the button, three bets to 91,000. And then everybody folds back to us. So let's talk about the button while we figure out what to do in this situation. Uh, first off, the button has 625,000 in his stack. So his M is 19 before the flop. So he's got another 535 behind after the three bet. So he starts the hand with 48 big blinds. Uh, this player is fairly new to the table, so we don't have many hands on him, but let's just assume that he's got pretty close to a game theory optimal button three betting range, which should be fairly aggressive versus a open from the hijack. Now, one of the traps I've fallen into in the past, both online and live, is that I will see a stack like his 625,000. And I'll think, oh, well, he's a short stack. When in actuality, this player has an M of 19. He's got 48 big blinds. That's not a short stack. We just happen to be a huge stack with 315 big blinds ourselves. So don't think of stacks that are much shorter than yours 
as necessarily being short stacks in the big picture. Um, yeah, he has one half of the average stack in this tournament, but this is a deep stack tournament. The average stack right now is still close to 100 big blinds-ish. So we don't want to think of him as a bug that we can just squash and try to win his $1,500 bounty just because we have so many chips. So there's a balance between being a bounty hunter but also wanting to preserve a chip lead. You want to have your opponents covered as much as humanly possible in a PKO tournament because it sets up opportunities to go for the big bounties. You need to have your opponents covered or you can't win anybody's bounty, obviously. So there's a balance there. It's a bit of an ebb and flow and it hasn't exactly been 100% solved yet to my knowledge. So that's what makes these tournaments fun, at least for me. So when we open for 26 and this player three bets to 91, you could talk about possibly four betting, but I think that if you do four bet, you should four bet small and then fold to further aggression. So I don't like to do that with a hand as strong as King Jack suited. I think with King Jack offsuit, this is a pretty easy fold. Maybe mix in the occasional four bet bluff with that hand. But honestly, there's so many traps to fall into with King Jack, especially from out of position when you weren't the last aggressor. It's, it might just be better to fold. And maybe this is a fold too, especially because his sizing is a little more than 3x, so it's not a trivially easy call. I'm getting about 2 to 1, a little worse on a call, so it's pretty close, actually. You could shove and go for the bounty, but that just seems a bit excessive to me. Why risk 48 big blinds with such a marginal hand? This hand, to me, is a little too good to fold, but I think that folding is fine. I think that 3-betting, uh, four betting rather with the, with the uh, intention of folding to further action is also fine. I elected to just call, not as a compromise. <laughs> Andrew Brokus teaches us that calling is not a compromise. Uh, but I just think that calling is actually the best play. We'll still have plenty of chips behind. We should set up a halfway decent SPR and look to flop well. So that's what I decided to do just call. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this street because this is something we've talked about on this podcast before, but in the old days, you could spot the fish at the table because he would be the one player who always calls the three bet from out of position. When you call three bets from out of position, you are putting yourself in a disadvantageous spot. So you need to have a strong reason for doing so. In my case here, I just think my hand is a little too good to fold. Also, the game has changed so much since that was the prevailing wisdom. And now players three bet with such a wide range that we need to be calling a lot more often than we ever used to when we get three bet and we are out of position. Otherwise, we just become way too exploitable. So I want to call and see a flop. Now the pot is 215,000 and our opponent has about 535 behind. So the effective SPR is two and a half. And the flop is a miracle Jack Jack Deuce with no spades. We have King Jack of Spades. So we flop trips. And uh, you know, this is how you maintain a chip lead in 
uh, poker tournament. I, I just felt like I was hitting every flop. And when I bluffed, they folded. When I value bet, they called. And on and on and on. We all have a day like that every once in a while. And this was mine. So as usual, we always want to check in a heads up pot when you were not the last aggressor. You want to check to the last aggressor when you're out of position. So we're always checking on every single flop here. Uh, remember, there are two diamonds on the flop. Jack, Jack, Deuce with two diamonds. We check and our opponent bets only 47,000 into the 215,000 pot. So he's put in about 25% pot, which I think he should be doing quite a bit, both for value and as a bluff. Uh, he might not want to bet at all if he has a hand like ace-king, ace-queen, although probably betting occasionally with those hands, particularly when one has a diamond, is okay. Of course, we do block ace-king a little bit with our king-jack suited. Um, but yeah, certainly ace-queen can bet here with the ace of diamonds, probably wanting to just check behind a lot without a diamond. The reason being, it is very difficult for this opponent to get action from worse when he has just ace-queen high. So it's better to just check and not get blown off of a hand that figures to be good a lot, but also can't really stand a raise. So when you're in that spot, it's often best to just check, especially against an aggressive opponent like Clayton. <laughs> so he does bet. I don't know what he has, but he bets 47 into 215. And of course, we, we need to raise here. Now, you might think, but our hand is so strong. We have the board locked up. It's Jack, Jack, Deuce, Clayton, come on. You can't, you don't want to blow him off his hand, right? If that's the way you see it, I respect that. But I disagree because I want to check raise this board a lot. I tend to play very aggressively on paired boards in general especially when I'm the player who's more likely to have the board, that, the card that paired. Now, in this case, I suppose our opponent could have put a hand like ace-jack into his pre-flop three betting range. Okay, that's fine. So maybe he is somewhat likely to have a jack himself. But I think that so much of my raise-calling range pre-flop is going to be hands like the one I have, King-Jack suited, maybe Queen-Jack suited, maybe even Jack-10 suited at this stack depth is probably not a bad call by me. Certainly Ace-Jack suited could have considered four betting, but I will have it some of the time. And Ace-Jack offsuit as well. In this day and age when players three bet so wide, you can't be folding Ace-Jack just because the button decided to three bet. So I could easily have that hand too. I'm going to want to represent this Jack a lot when I don't have it. Like, say, for example, I do have a hand like ace-five of diamonds, right? So I, I flop a flush draw, and I want a semi-bluff, check-raise semi-bluff on the jack-jack-deuce with two diamonds board. That's the type of hand I, I should have a lot when I check-raise. So I need to also have a nutty hand some of the time. Also, when my opponent has something, and I mean something strong that he should be three-betting before the flop, Hands like pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens. All of those hands should be continuing versus the check raise. And we already said he shouldn't have been c-betting with ace-queen very often. So what hands does he bet on this flop? Well, the big pairs and probably some smaller pairs too. Hands like pocket tens, pocket nines, 
right? All of those hands should should be C betting here, as well as complete misses with hands like Queen 10 that he bluffed pre-flop, suited aces that totally missed this board, hands like that. So when we check raise, we're unlikely to get any further action from his worst holdings, but we're very likely to get action from his best holdings. So that's an argument for check raising here when we have the nuts. We need to have some value in our check raising range. So if you're not going to check raise when you have a jack here, you can't check raise when you just have a flush draw here. So that's why we just have to go for it and hope that this player can continue. We check raise to 114,000. Remember, our opponent now has less than 500,000 behind. We're hoping he shoves with a hand like pocket aces, but alas, he folds and we don't collect his bounty. But I still think that not slow playing is the correct strategy in this situation. Now, I promised you guys I would finish all the key hands from day one of this event this week. And I always keep my word, so let's go. One more hand from day one. In this hand, the, the blinds are up to 7K, 14K with 2100 ante. We happen to be at a seven-handed table right now, and the pot is 35,700. We are still tournament chip leader with 4.3 million, but the gap is closing a little bit. This is about 30 or 40 minutes after the previous hand. The, a player at another table has over 3 million, so we're not winning this race by 20 miles like we were a while ago, but we're still very, very comfortably ahead of everyone else in the event. Our M is 120. We have 307 big blinds. No one else at our table has over 2 million, so we've got everyone covered, like we did before, by more than double. The action folds to the hijack who is a loose, aggressive Brazilian player. He opens to 32,200. Now this is more than 2X. 2X would be 28,000, right? He's got 1.5 million behind and a $2,000 bounty for us to try to win, should we choose to. We are in the cutoff to his left with pocket queens. Pretty clear three bet here, I think. We make it 107,000. And then the button, who has been a really tough thorn in my side kind of player, four bets it to 260,000 with 1.7 million behind. So the three players in best position have each raised. The hijack open to 32. Clayton, three bets to 107. And now the button, four bets to 260. Now, this player on the button, let's talk about him a little bit. He's been a thorn in my side, very aggressive, especially when he's in position. And in this hand, he's on the button. Uh, he's only got a $1,200 bounty, but ever since he showed up at this table, he has been trying to, I feel like he's been trying to exploit the fact that I was more aggressive than what would be considered GTO. <laughs> Although, in fairness, the table in general was pretty aggressive overall. Anyway, um, I can't prove he's been taking shots at me, but regardless, you got to admit the cold four is always sexy. 
Uh, it folds back to the uh, a Brazilian player who had originally opened, and now he folds as it's gone raise, re-raise behind him after he raised. And so it will just be myself and this player on the button. I think we can all agree that folding is out of the question. We have the third nuts with pocket queens and, and a very aggressive opponent. There are players in the world against whom I would turn this hand into a pure set mine because when they put in that third raise, it's literally always aces or kings. There are players out there who play like this. Many of them live in Florida. A lot of them play at your local card room, wherever that may be. This is a $2,650 major online event. This could be certainly top of range, pocket aces, pocket kings. Certainly, I could be behind. But at the same time, I will often be ahead of a hand like ace-five suited. We all love ace-five suited. It's the perfect pre-flop bluffing candidate because it flops so well and is never doing worse than 30% against any hand other than pocket aces, which it blocks. So yeah, we all know about ace-five suited and how much fun it is to have, especially when two aggressive players have already raised in front of you. That is a, a great hand to go ahead and, and call for. Uh, he could even have jack-10 suited. You want to see a flop with jack-10 suited, but calling two raises with it isn't profitable. But all of a sudden, when you decide to four-bet with it, it might be profitable because it benefits from fold equity as well as being such a good flopper. So <laughs> we kind of get into a philosophical question here. This player has 1.7 million in his stack, okay? His M is 60. He's got 135 big blinds. Do we want to try to get all in against a stack that large when we're holding pocket queens? I think not. I think it's a much easier decision when he only has like 80 big blinds. Uh, there, I would be pretty comfortable getting all in and hoping he's just got ace king and, you know, flipping a coin and try to catch the bounty, whatever. I don't want to try to get all in with him. Therefore, I don't really want to five bet because then what do you do when he six bets? And now you've got too much of your stack in to really set mine profitably. So I decide to call. So this is two hands that we've discussed where I've decided to call from out of position when somebody re-raised me. Pretty different situation, obviously, than the previous hand. But still, the, it's very hard to play profitably from out of position. So when you allow your opponents to build big pots, and then you're going to play those big pots from out of position, you need to have a strong rationale for doing so. Mine is, I didn't want to get into a preflop raising war for this many chips, and at the same time, I can't fold queens to this player. So calling really is the only remaining option. Although again, it's not a compromise. It's just my best play. So I call and we're going to see a flop. The pot is now 586,000 and the button has 1.7 million. So his SPR is just over three. So before I tell you about the flop, let me just say, I think that our opponent's sizing is no bueno. Uh, when he raised it, to 260, the most likely outcome is that just one of his opponents would call the four bet. And he should have been able to do the math in his head to try to get that SPR under three. He wants to be able to get all in comfortably post-flop when he makes 
top pair when he has something like ace king or pocket aces now with this size of an spr there are just too many chips where it's not going to be easy for him to get it all in and have it be good when he only has one pair so if you're going to four bet or three bet or whatever to try to set something up you want to think about what the math looks like when your opponent calls pre-flop if he just makes a more standard sizing here make it three hundred thousand and then he'll have an SPR of under three and be pretty happy when the flop comes as it does in this hand, king, jack, deuce with two clubs. So king of clubs, jack of hearts, deuce of clubs. Hero has a club, the queen of diamonds, queen of clubs. That's what we have. So as always, we're going to check in a heads up pot when you were not the pre-flop last aggressor. You always want to check to the razor. So we do that here, and our opponent fires pretty healthy, 181,000 into 586,000, and we have a decision. Now, despite having pocket queens, we actually are at a range disadvantage. Generally speaking, pre-flop four bets are very strong. Pocket aces, pocket kings, maybe pocket jacks, all of those hands beat us right now. So we're not happy with this flop. This is not a good flop for us, but all is not lost. We have backdoor clubs. We also have a backdoor Broadway draw. And there's also some chance that these queens are good. So we check. And when he bets 181, we cannot fold just yet. If our opponent continues to apply pressure, we may just have to throw this away. Uh, but in this spot, too much going on here. So now the pot is 949,000. An opponent has about 1.5 million left. And the turn comes the nine of diamonds. So your board is now king, jack, deuce, nine with two clubs. And I think that it's a pretty clear check here. You could, I guess you could lead. You do have uh, a gut shot, straight draw. I, I just don't know what you're getting value from that you're actually beating if you bet so it would be basically like a, a blocking bet maybe you could bet 150 into 950 if you want uh, uh but i just think it's going to get bluff raised a lot by hands like ace jack with the ace of clubs things like that so i think it's best to just check and hope that your opponent doesn't bet again and he goes along with our plan and checks behind now what do we make of this are two queens good here I mean, it's king, jack, deuce, nine. And our opponent bets small on the flop. Not that small, but about a third of the pot. A little less than a third of the pot on the flop. And now decides not to bet the turn. Well, I'm still not convinced that queens are good because our opponent could still have ace-king and just not like how coordinated the board is getting. Want to do some pot control because he already screwed up and had too big of a SPR to begin with. So now he can't really get three streets of value with a hand like ace-king or pocket aces. Um, th that's a distinct possibility. So just because he checked doesn't mean that we should be in love with our queens. I'm still hoping to hit a 10 <laughs> and try to get there. But even then, who knows, he could have ace-queen, but we blocked that pretty hard. And we're not going to worry about everything, right, guys? So uh, we're happy to see him check behind. The river is the deuce of diamonds for a final board of king-jack-deuce nine deuce no flush so 
do you want to lead or do you want to check again? At this point, I started feeling confident about my hand strength and thought that possibly Ace Jack could give us action, uh, as well as some of his bluffs, like the Jack-10 suited that I mentioned earlier might be able to give us action and just hope that we have Ace-Queen, Ace right? So, uh, yeah, I decided to go for value here. I bet 245 into 949 offering just about 5 to 1, maybe 4.8, 4.9 to 1 on a call. I'm really looking to get action from one of those two hands, uh, Jack-10 suited or Ace-Jack suited. And I'm not really even sure how much Ace-Jack or Jack-10 is even in my opponent's pre-flop 4 betting range. But I felt like if anyone has those hands in the range, it would be this player, because as I mentioned earlier, he's been so loose and so aggressive and such a thorn in my side this whole time that he could actually have even worse than that and possibly be able to find a hero call, especially when he's getting five to one on a call. So he only needs about 17, 18% equity to break even on a call like that. But he folds and we'll never know what he had. Maybe pocket tens finds a fold there. Uh, but it kind of feels like ace-queen or ace-ten suited are the most likely options. Although, who knows? Maybe he made a hero fold with a hand like pocket aces. You never know. Late in the day in a high-stakes buy-in, sometimes players do see monsters under the bed. But if I had to bet 100 bucks on what exactly my opponent had, I would go with pocket tens. That'll do it for this episode and that also ends our review of day one of my Venom PKO. I finished the day in first place. I collected a total of $9,000 worth of bounties. Uh, it was a pretty sick run and probably the most fun I've had playing online poker in years. <laughs> it was pretty exciting. Then I had to wait another eight days to get to day two because there were still a few more starting days in this event we will review day two of this venom pko on acr in a future episode of the podcast so for everyone here at tournament poker edge i'm clayton fletcher thank you so much for listening It's 
Nobody